FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswat.com. This is Saswa, a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined today by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Northeast Ohio, the the region of champions. Oh, wow. Yes. That's true. Have we done an episode since the Cavs won? I guess. We did, but I, it was sort of, I think, being in the, the blinding light of George Norrie kind of eclipsed oh, yeah. any... Sports championships. Sure. Um, I got to watch that game down in Hilton Head. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you know this, but like Hilton Head apparently has a, a ton of Ohio residents uh, like vacationing there. In fact, we were told by someone that there's actually more Ohioans down there than there are North or uh, South Carolinians. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. So when we live down in Southeast Ohio... It just seemed like it was a, a cultural event in June to go to Myrtle Beach. Yeah. So I, I understand that completely. There's that there's exodus that happens. Yeah. And my annually. point my point was, I'm just sitting here talking to you, and this tiny spider just came down out of nowhere next to me. Hold on. Okay, that's not the first time that's happened either. No. If you will recall. <laughs> What's up there? I don't know, man. There's probably like a giant... Mutant spider lurking. It, there has to be a nest because there's another one right above it. No way. Yeah. Hold on. It's a harbinger. Yeah. It's a harbinger. It's the invasion. I killed two yesterday. <laughs> I got a spray in here. Anyway. Um, what were we, oh, oh, yeah. I was down there, and uh, when the Cavs won, there was just like an eruption of cheers from around the condo complex where we were. It sounded like you were mm-hmm. in Cleveland. Um but but what a great what a great game! Yeah, it was a, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, um, very boring. Andy and I were watching with my mom and dad, mm-hmm. and uh, just a cool moment when they won because when it was tied, like in the last minute, I think every Cleveland fan fully expected there to be some horrible tragedy that happened. You know, like dribbling off your foot mm-hmm. or calling you know, timeout call. when you didn't yeah. have a timeout, yeah. right? <laughs> Which I don't think that's a penalty in the NBA, right? They don't have like a because when the Fab Five called, oh, when Chris Webber yeah. called timeout with no timeouts and they lost the game, that was a mm-hmm. penalty. I don't, that's the NCAA. I don't think they do that in NBA. There's like there's something else that goes on. Maybe it's a technical foul. Might be something. You'd get a shot. Um, at any rate, the Cleveland Cavaliers won the the NBA championship. If you're completely out of the loop, and now <laughs> all Ohioans feel some sort of ownership of the trophy. Which I think is is cool. It is cool. It really has boosted the mood mm-hmm. up here. That plus the the political convention going well has Cleveland people feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. There was no uh, riots or uh, kill killings, murders. Nope. Yeah. No arrests even. Yeah. Much to the media chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh. Anyway, so uh, enough real world nonsense, I guess. Uh, we've we're we're talking today. We're we're actually peek behind the the curtain. We're recording two episodes today because we have 
and by we I mean me, have failed to record for a few weeks, so we're behind. I'm not even sure. Is this episode 95 or 96? Oh, goodness. I have no idea. Okay. At any rate, um, we are still on for next Saturday, right? Or no, next Friday, the 5th, August 5th. So you're hearing this. You should be hearing this probably. I'll probably post this tomorrow. So you're hearing this the week before our official Sasswat meetup taking place in Peninsula, Ohio at Fisher's Pub and Cafe. Um, we're, I think we're going to have it outside. I think we're going to sit out on the patio as long as the weather's nice. They have a really cool patio area there. But um, if you're in the area and you, you want to come hang out with Mark and I, we're really not expecting a ton of people to come to this. Um, it's, you know, it's kind it's of... more a, of an excuse to go to Fisher's again. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> it really is. Um, so but we you, would love to have anybody yeah, show up. Absolutely. Obviously. So if you want to come to kind of a small, intimate gathering of uh, of Sasquatch listeners or, or small town monsters fans, I was asked online about if I'm selling DVDs at the event. I will not be vending at my <laughs> Sasquatch meetup, <laughs> um, mostly because I just want a night off. So if you're if you're in the Ohio area. Or Pennsylvania, actually, you're you're probably not that much further from PA or or really anywhere. If you want to come from thousands of miles away for this, you're welcome. We are we're gonna basically meet up in Peninsula at at Fisher's and uh, have dinner and talk Bigfoot. And um, are we of, recording something? There? We are. We're we're still recording the 100th episode, regardless of whether yes. or not you know we're we're behind on recordings right now. So I think we're recording like 95. And this 96. is 95. Yes. Yeah. Right now. So this is 95, and we're 96 will actually go up next weekend. So three weeks after that, you'll hear what we record <laughs> next weekend. <laughs> so so if you're present for uh, the Sasquatch meetup, you'll get to be on. And a part of the 100th episode of Sasswat. Um, so, so anyway, yeah. So that's next weekend. Fishers come hang out with us. I can't think of anything. What anything else I need to say about that event? I don't think so. I mean, that's pretty much sort of the um, informality of the whole thing. Yeah, just it, come hang with us. I did. There's get, no program per se. Or I was asked by someone if we were planning on doing any big footing afterward. And uh, no promises, but I would actually think that that might be something fun to do because we'd be in there probably after dark, which means we could potentially go over to Oak Hill Trail where where uh, Nathan yeah. and I had that wood knock. Yep. So so if we are if we get enough people and people are interested in that, we might run over to Oak Hill because it's pretty close and uh, do some mm-hmm. screams or something and peninsula pythoning too. Peninsula pythoning. That's um that's not a wood knock. That's like a. a Giant hiss. Yeah, <laughs> we're all gonna we're all gonna hiss into the evening. See if we can get the the python to come out at us. That is so enticing. I yeah, think. no. It if is. anyone was on the fence before and yeah. now they hear that part, yep. Group hiss. Persuaded. <laughs> Group hiss. That sounds like I'm. S- Never mind. Uh, <laughs> so today we're talking about um, Bushmen. Tribes, the unseen tribes. I think that's what we'll call this episode: the unseen tribes. Mm. Um, that this was spurred on by a news story that Mark sent me, which I'm trying to pull up on my phone right now. That came out of Canada, if I'm not mistaken. 
and centered around a man who had uh, fallen into the the frigid waters of um of, of what lake? Is this a lake? Uh, yeah, Lac Lamarte. All right, Lac. And and you're familiar with Canada more so than I am. So mm-hmm. do you know where this is? Yeah, this is uh, Northwest Territories, um, way way up. Like it's uh, same latitude. I think it's latitude that uh, Alaska would okay. be. Okay, so so, so this is kind of like the Yukon, right? Like you're. Would this yeah, be considered a little? Yeah, it, it's. It, It'd be same, approximately same area, if not a little east okay. of the Yukon. All right, that's what I was curious about. Curious about that because when I was doing my research for this episode, um, I came across some articles about the Yukon giant tribes of Indians, as they're oh, referred yeah. to. So I was, I was actually trying to figure out if that was something, you know, related. Yeah. Um, well, and, and interesting, too, mm-hmm. when I, I wanted to be able to say how far this region was from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. So I entered it into Google Maps, and it told me there's no way to get there from here. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, unfortunately, I, you know, I wanted to be able to say how many miles, but since there's no road in, right. I guess, that's not a possibility. It's just way up there. Um. Right. So, so what what this episode is going to be about is kind of the. I mean, it's, uh, this is what I think it's going to be about anyway. Um, are c- kind of the hairy giants um, that that J- uh, J. W. Burns G. W. J. W. Burns originally investigated. So we're talking about the precursor kind of to John Green, um, and this is c- kind of the subject that I think is par- at least at least partially what got Green into all this. Um, are these these Sasquatch legends for those that are unfamiliar with it. The, the Sasquatch legends out of Canada aren't your typical Sasquatch. When you hear Sasquatch now you think of Bigfoot and it's just another term for Bigfoot, but, but it was originally coined. It's Sasquatch is like a, what it's not, it's derived from a larger Mm -hmm. word. What is that word? Well, Sasquatol is one form that I've seen, but it's, you're right. It's sort of a an English transliteration of a Native American word. Right. So, so that's what we're talking about today. Are these kind of native legends that that revolve around creatures who seem to bear slight similarities to some Bigfoot reports, but more more than likely are are some sort of um, they're they're basically referencing giant hairy Indians. Um, Harry might not even enter into it sometimes. That was right. what I was finding today. It's more just an undiscovered tribe of people. But they do bear similarities to some, some things that we, we now refer to as Bigfoot. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And an, I had an absolute blast this morning drinking my coffee and uh, <laughs> going through different uh, Sasquatch legends. So I don't know about you, but this is the most fun I've had preparing for an episode in a long time. Yeah. It's amazing, mm-hmm. and the stories are out there. I, I like how you sort of delineated that because, you know, it's not necessarily Bigfoot as we think of him today. And when you use the word giant, I mean, I, I think as you, as we go along, you'll get the idea that we're we're not just talking about seven to eight foot Bigfoot. We're talking about giant figures, yeah, a truly it- giant. And I don't know if I ever sent you this, Mark, because I don't even know if we were we were buds at the time. But but when I used to do 
all that newspaper archive research. The, some of the first things I found were Sasquatch articles out of Canada. Um, and I wish that I had them, but I don't think I have them anymore. I think they have been lost into the ether, so I could probably do another search for them. But one of the articles even had an illustration of a giant with a lady over his shoulder is holding <laughs> a lady and it was kind of cartoonish. Um, I don't think it was supposed to be funny though. It was, it was in a serious article about a report out of Canada and the article was picked up by the AP and ran in the United States. But this is all the way back in like 1930, wow. 1920, 1930 is a very old article. Um, but it it came out of I think I found it that by accidentally searching for like Bigfoot in Ohio or ape reports or something like that. But it referred to uh, these native giant hairy Indians that rode on horseback and carried spears that came out of the oh, deepest wow. the yeah. deepest you know wilderness up in Canada and they the, something that seems to run commonly through all these stories the 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 connecting thread is that they seem to really dig kidnapping people. Um, yes. And so if you're a missing 411 fan, you'll probably find uh, something here for you because I've, I've heard this connected with that as well. Um, there's the, and, and there is even in, in Bigfoot legends, that's something that pops up a lot, but right. And then taking that a step further, it's mm-hmm. generally not always, but, but generally, the idea is that they're being kidnapped in order to be eaten. Yes, and I have—I actually have one of those. Yeah, I, well, um, I can't wait to hear it because there's just when you go looking for this stuff, it's yeah. amazing to me how much there really is. Well, it, the cannibal thing is—I um, came across an article in on New England folklore uh, dot, dot dot com cannibal giants of the snowy northern forest it's called and it just goes into one of the things that drew me to it was the fact that they had a uh, panel from a bprd comic oh <laughs> as like the thumbnail photo and i love bprd but anyway um let me go into it real quick uh sure. and this is not necessarily the the hairy giant indians this is this seems to be something completely different, but many people have heard of the Wendigo, the cannibal monster found in American Indian folklore across much of the northern U.S. and Canada. Wendigos have been featured in movies, comic books, TV shows. Northern New England, the five Wabanaki tribes talk about a similar creature known either as the Chinu, the Jiwakwa, or the Kiwakwa. You should avoid it no matter what it's called. According to Frank Speck's 1935 article, Penobscot tales and religious beliefs in the journal of american folklore the word kiwakwa means going about in the woods if you don't want to see one of these monsters stay out, stay out of the woods especially during the winter um it's a human being who has been transformed through dark magic into a cannibalistic giant much like the incredible hawk they get larger as they get angrier and often tower above the tallest tree um <clears throat> it goes into a, a bit of detail on them but essentially they're they're a human being, a massive human like creature who eats people and hangs out in the woods. Um, Chinu get their evil powers from a lump of human shaped ice in their stomach. Wow! Yeah, thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, there are several ter- tales where clever people make a Chinu vomit up the ice lump, which returns it to human form. In some stories, making a Chinu eat salt will melt the lump. 
So if you run into a wow. chinoo, um, now you know what to do. So I had never heard of the chinoo or the, the I mean, it seems like a kind of a kind of like it's derived from the Wendigo, but it seems like it's more of a human, you know, like a massive human, which would bring us back to the unseed tribes concept and is this right you know i think we at some point we have to talk about this so it might as well be now but i i think the concept of unseen tribes hidden tribes um and i'm just talking about people being you know globally out there you know hidden tribes that maybe manage to stay hidden i think that's totally believable because it's happened i mean we've had it happen within the last you know what decade they had that photograph of that tribe um in africa who had never had any contact with the outside world that we didn't know was there. Um, so I think the idea of a hidden tribe that just has managed to stay hidden and hasn't come into, into contact with civilization is totally believable. Um, it, it's one of the more plausible elements of this sort, you know, all yeah. of that uh, folklore or reporting or whatever you want to call it. And I think attached to that is that many times, you know, what in these stories, what accounts for the tribe remaining hidden is that they've gone underground, mm-hmm. which is really, I, I don't know, for some reason I love that idea, just the concept of these huge cavernous places where giants dwell. Yeah. And they come to the surface occasionally, but for the most part are very uh, able to stay hidden. Mm-hmm. And And what's not plausible about that? I mean, there's state parks and national parks that are all about giant subterranean areas. I mean, sure. certainly Mammoth Cave is yeah. in Kentucky. Um, and, I mean, there's that cave in, in Vietnam, the the largest. It has its own ecosystem, its own ecosystem. It's so big. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, yeah, there's all kinds of, and, and, of course, this is like one of those ultimate mysteries, too. It's one of those things that I love. Um, it's part, you know, it's similar to what drew me to Bigfoot in the first place. Is it's one of these things that's it's kind of plausible. I think there's a plausibility to unseen, hidden people that you know live outside of our you know technological age. And frankly, I don't blame them at all. I'd love to. I'd love yeah. to live like that. Um, Into the Wild. It's one of my favorite movies. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a plausibility to all this too. So. Yeah, the flip side of that is in many of these tales, the size of these beings is so big. Mm-hmm. That 60, 40 to 60 feet in one mm-hmm. of these articles I was reading. Yeah. So modern listeners just hear that and think, oh, it, it's folklore. There, there, it can't be, you know, mm-hmm. it can't be true. Whereas, a, you know, seven to foot, seven to eight foot tall creature, you could uh, say, well, I mean, there's tall people like that. But when you get into this um, sort of, Paul Bunyan-esque size creatures stomping around, that's where people tend to say, you know, just almost immediately there's no, you know, there's no um, precedent for that. However, um, you know, I do want to highlight the source of a lot of the material I got for this episode is uh, comes out of the book called True Giants by Mark Hall and Lauren Coleman. Hmm. And the whole idea of the book is that... Um, kind of holding off that immediate switch to its folklore and saying, is there any evidence in both the uh, eyewitness accounts and you know, physical evidence that suggests true giants? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think their contention is that there is. And the default right away to saying nothing could be that big um, 
you know, maybe we shouldn't be that quick to do it. And I've got a really good story that I want to, that really falls right into this category. I think if you don't, if you haven't heard this, I think you'll really like it. It's, um, comes out of a book called A Pioneer Gentlewoman in British Columbia, <laughs> The Autobiographical Recollections of Susan Allison, published in 1976. Uh, story of her life in the last half of the 19th century include the account of an old Indian Kekewas who was carried off by the big men of the mountains to a cave inhabited by two giants in the area of Lake Okanagan. Huh. The gi- yeah. The giants were so tall that Kekewas' head reached only to their knees. They wore clothing made of goat skin, used fire, rolled a large stone to seal their cave at night. The Indian was kept as something of a pet until he was able to flee the cave one night through a crack at the entrance. Kekewas was an old man when he told his grandson and great-grandchildren of the events. The giants were known to come down from their mountain caves, lured by the abundance of fish that the Indians were catching. And uh, the, really the detail that grabs you, grabbed me anyway, is the realization for him that he was a fairly big person himself, uh, Kekewas was, but he came up to their knees. So that gives you a, a sense of the massive size of these things. And um, certainly this, this gentleman, his report was not, wasn't framing this as legendary or spinning a tale. It sounds like he was just speaking somewhat frankly about uh, experience that he had. And there's all these, these uh, details in there that suggest a, a, you know, a sentient being, you know, they've got clothes on, they're using tools a second giant appeared carrying three dead does. Uh, they spoke in voices like thunder, quote unquote, and um, just stuff like that. It, you know, that so quickly goes into the the file of legendary. But he seems to be reporting this as like Albert Osman on steroids or something. Um, does it reference when that is that a newspaper article or? An account given by someone, or well, let's see. It, all it says is it included the account of an old Indian. Okay, I'm it, reading into it. I, I don't. It could be that Susan Allison talked to probably her his this person's grandson, well, Turoskin. In Lake Okanagan, the reason I made that noise is that's that's where Ogopogo is, if I'm Correct. not mistaken. Yeah. Yes. So. So uh, most of my research came from the internet because I was uh, lazy and I didn't didn't want to <laughs> go get giants, cannibals, and monsters or any of my other reading material. Um, so I pulled this from BigfootEncounters.com where I do, honestly, I do more research on BigfootEncounters.com than I do probably anywhere else. It's a collection, for those that don't know, it's, it's a collection of articles and a lot of research that uh, Bobby Short compiled over a, a long period of time she's gone she passed away but she's so she's gone now but the the website is still there and you can still do a lot of reading on there there's a we've talked at length about the uh the cripple foot cast and all that and there's mm-hmm. an article on there about all of that mess that i freaking love but anyway this is i i wanted to pull this because um it's a long article. I got, I'm just going to have to pull little pieces of it, but I think it does a good job of setting up the concept of um, the, the like what the the unseen Indians would be. Um, 
This this is a story out of the Mackenzie River Valley of Canada's Northwest Territories. Um, it comes from the Hare Indians, a population of seven to eight hundred. Um, let me see here. According to the Hare, Bushmen are anthropomorphic beings who roam around in the bush during the summer and steal women and children. They are considered to be foreign people who lost their way and became transformed into evil dwellers of the wilds. Both Indians of the neighboring tribes and white men are believed to have become Bushmen. Since various Indians stopped fighting wars, there have been few Indian Bushmen. These days, Bushmen are only white people, said my informant. I have never encountered the mention of a Bushman of Eskimo origin. Bushmen are usually males. Before the turn of the century, it is believed that there are more Bushmen than there are today, and that they actually took women and children. On the other hand, several people have recently reported that they saw a Bushman or heard one. Uh, for example, they say that an Indian was out hunting alone and was just about to shoot an animal when suddenly it dropped dead before he had discharged his gun. It had been shot by an unseen Bushman. However... There's been no recent cases in which a hair person is said to have been caught or killed by a bushman, although a medicine man, shaman, still living, is said when 12 years old to have killed a bushman who was roaming around in the woods. Uh, the w- bushmen wander in the bush during summer. In winter, they sleep in the ground like a hibernating bear, according to a few informants, although several others said they did not know what the bushman would do in winter. One of the informants described the bushman as follows. Um, it goes on, and, but it's basically an account of the giant Indians, but from a more realistic standpoint. It's it's basically saying they're people who don't want to be part of humanity or any kind of civilization anymore, including even native tribes. So they go off on their own and then live out in the wild and take people. Um, I did get this that was kind of cool. In the government report for 1952, there's an account containing no citation, which reads, Two natives told their tales of Bushmen wandering through the area, and one of them was very convinced that they were Russians, as he had heard that they were in Aklavik. Tales of wandering white men have persisted from these camps all summer, but it's felt that they have been started by wise old natives to keep too many natives from camping on their fishing areas. This is a more recent article, too. I think this ran in, yeah, 1980. So this is, but but it does reference the J.W. Burns stuff, too. So it goes into more of, I guess, a realistic take on, on it, which I kind of liked about it. That was why I wanted to read it. Because there are, you know, if you're into this, there, there are directions you could go um, that would explain a lot of this. So it seems like for some people, they were undiscovered people who had just simply fled civilization. And in my research, I actually found something kind of cool. Native tribes in America, especially up where we are in, in Northern America, um, in the Ohio area said that a lot of the unseen, hairy, tall, massive, you know, undiscovered tribes were, descendants of atlantis Hmm. so i thought that was kind of fascinating i'm not really sure how believable that is how did i mean how did native americans know anything about the atlantis legends but that was supposedly that might have been what it what it might be is that they described where they thought the the creatures came from or what they had heard where the creatures came from and someone else lined it up with the atlantis legends so anyway i'd never heard that until today when i was researching wow yeah me either yeah so um Although it makes me think of all the, you know, the giant legends and 
I don't think we really want to get into like Nephilim and all of that sort of thing, mm-hmm. but but certainly, I mean, what can be said is that world history seems to have plenty of stories of giants with malicious intent, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things we're talking about is, you know, how do you decide where those come from? Are they reporting the truth as it happened, or like you said, uh, the article that you read, is it a cautionary tale, you know, told to keep people close to the to the camp, or as a, another alternative, and I think this is what you're saying, could it be that there have been folks who have checked out of quote-unquote civilization, and uh, when you see somebody like that in the woods, there's a tendency to sort of conflate that experience, because you're so surprised by somebody just out there uh, with no sort of tether to the the real world so to speak yeah i'm actually looking at this atlanta stuff right now and i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out a way to to kind of pull this down into a a like somewhere i could just recap it but i I really don't think i could ohio native american indian traditions retain the story of two separate races of humans that pre-existed their culture one was the archaic people described as having slender bodies and long narrow heads the other group was the Adena people, described as having massive bone structure and short heads. Um, so, but uh, there's a whole thing. That it, it actually explains why it's it's related to Atlantis, and it has something to do with their peace pipes and the fact that after a, a, catastrophe, a catastrophe, they would actually pray to their gods that lived on an island in the Atlantic Ocean. Hmm. Um, it was given to them by the Manitou, Great Spirit, immediately after a catastrophic conflagration and flood destroyed a former world or age which was ruled over from a big lodge on an island in the Atlantic Ocean. Again, I'm pulling this from a website, so some of this stuff you got to be careful because I don't know where they're getting their inf- information mm-hmm. or where they're pulling it from. But this seemed, it's not on some, you know, quack website. It's uh, burlingtonnews.net. So it doesn't seem too wacky. Um, moving on from that, we need to talk a little bit before before you know the show's over but we definitely got to talk about giant skeletons because this is Mm -hmm. something we always hear and that was actually why i had pulled this article up originally was because it went into the supposed skeletons that have been found and then mysteriously disappeared around the country um this article actually talks about a vatican (laughs) cover-up of the of the giant skeletons which i had never heard before so Mm -hmm. um do you have anything on on that stuff in front of you well i did uh there it wasn't the thing that i liked about what i saw is that it was not outlandishly big but without finding the citation it was is basically a skull and Mm -hmm. it was like a two-foot skull so pretty big um but yeah, I, I so there's there's lots that's been written about yeah y- I, I just have in, one just in Ohio. I mean, there's there's some stuff that uh, I wish I had the the citation here. But if you have one, go go with that. But I know like Southeast Ohio has some definitely documented down. cases of stuff being pulled out of mounds. Yeah, and and the, and the theory like the theory is that they pull these giant skeletons out of these burial chambers or sarcophagus or whatever, and then they they mysteriously disappear. And the theory or conspiracy theory is that the government comes and takes them, 
and puts them in the, the basement of the Smithsonian or wherever, mm-hmm. and they're lost to time. But there are supposedly these giant, you know, seven to ten foot tall, eleven foot tall um, skeletons that have been found that the government, for whatever reason, takes. I found an article on Skeptoid about the red-haired giants of Lovelock Cave, which I mm-hmm. I was aware of that, and I'm sure you are as well. Um, but really quickly... Uh, in western Nevada, on the outskirts of the Humboldt Sink, is a small cave. It's hot and dry and isolated. Um, it was once part of an enormous lake, Lake Lahontan, Lahontan, a, a Pleistocene-era lake some 13,000 years ago, and at the time, one of North America's largest lakes eventually dried up, leaving a number of smaller lakes, one, one of which was Humboldt Lake. The cave was on its shore, and in it lived a race of natives who hunted and fished and enjoyed a life of plenty. There's a shocking twist. Research this people, and you'll find that the archaeological and historical evidence tells us they were not common Native Americans. They were the Siteka, a race of red-haired giants ten feet tall who terrorized their neighbors with cannibalism. (laughs) The cave is real, and you can drive to it via a long dirt road from nearby Lovelock, Nevada, a small farming town that has grown amidst the moist soil of the sink. Stories are real, too. All you need to do is Google for red-haired giants, and you'll find a raft of websites repeating the same tale. Guano miners in the cave found so many relics that in 1912, they turned the site over to a University of California anthropologist who recovered thousands of artifacts. You'll read that an oral tradition passed down by the Paiute Indians tells how they eventually defeated the Siteka giants by trapping them inside their cave and smoking them to death. You will read how the recovered artifacts included human bones split open for their marrow and bearing the marks of stone knives. Um, It goes on to pretty much shoot down any um, mention of anyone ever actually turning up skeletons, um, which if you're buying into the the, the, um, conspiracy theories, you're just going to assume means that the government came along and took the the bones of the humble giants. But from from reading the article on Skeptoid, there has never actually been any physical evidence uncovered that those giants actually existed there. So I don't know if you want to add anything to that particular well, story. I, no, I don't know. I I will say this that if that if this is something that you're really interested in, um, the book ancient giants who ruled america the missing skeletons and the great smithsonian cover-up by richard dewhurst mm-hmm. is very interesting because there's just a minimum of i uh, despite that title there's a minimum of speculation and what dewhurst does is just presents um newspaper article after newspaper article of of american uh mound exhumations and discoveries mm-hmm. and just sort of lets you see the information and you know do with it what you will but i think it's it's safe to say that if you give those old newspaper accounts any credence at all there is quite a bit there um as to physical discovery of them uh you know i don't know it's hard to say i mean i it's, I, I find this stuff fascinating i've always yeah. loved the 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 giant skeletons and, and even the concept of a cover-up, it appeals to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. No doubt. I mean, it's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, the one of the problems today, of course, is that you can't roll up to an Indian mound and start digging. Right. You know, it's not going to go 
well for you yeah if you attempt to do so um but you know the in earlier generations they had less of a problem i found this article that. that mentioned burns it says after many years of patient investigation mr burns not the Simpsons character. A responsible, a responsible government official shares the firm belief of his Indian charges that deep in the unexplored mountain wilds of British Columbia, there still lurk a few scattered survivors of the mysterious Sasquatch. Primitive creatures of huge stature covered from head to foot with coarse hair who have figured in redskin legends for centuries. Mr. Burns recounts a number of seemingly well-authenticated stories of encounters with these uncanny wild men who carefully avoid all contact with civilization. Uh, Scientific expeditions had sought them in vain, and it is generally supposed that if they ever existed, the giants have long since become extinct. But the Indians remain unconvinced. And the article goes on and tells about um, J.W. Burns kind of research into the Sasquatch stories and you can start to see this melding with you know more modern day Bigfoot stories around that same time um, like even in that start you start to see the mention of, of being covered head to head to foot with um, hair but I most of the native the actual straight up native legends that I read did not mention that these things were covered in hair. It doesn't mention any sort of primate features. It's just an upright walking Indian, you know, Native American mm-hmm. kind of look to these things. Covered, in, you know, they might be wearing pelts or whatever, but it doesn't say anything about hair. Yeah, here, the one that I read to you before mm-hmm. that goes into a lot of detail, and here's what here's what it says. Um, There he stood looking at me, and then for the first time I had a good look at him. I was ever esteemed a large man, but standing by the big man, my head was scarce level with his knees. His body was covered with garments of goat skin and was white. Yep. And he had a long, bushy beard that hung down to his waist. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that's... And I think there was a book that came out, and we've just touched on it very briefly on this show, by uh, John Quasar. Mm-hmm. Recasting Bigfoot, yeah. and I think that that's this is sort of a central premise of his book, if I'm not mistaken, is that at some point the the Sasquatch as a lost tribe and Bigfoot, as he came to be known in the 20th century, sort of melded together. Mm-hmm. Um, but they seem totally different. But they do, yes. If you actually start, yeah, when you really start looking into it. I am convinced, said Mr. Burns, that survivors of the Sasquatch do still inhabit the inaccessible interior of British Columbia. Only by sheer luck, however, is a white man likely to sight one of them because, like wild animals, they instinctively avoid all contact with civilization, and in that rocky country, it is impossible to track them down. I still live in hope, however, of someday surprising a Sasquatch, and when that happens, I trust to have a camera handy. And then he goes on and tells a story. Um... Utterly terrified, Indian raced madly toward the Chihalas River, where his dugout canoe was moored. In pursuit, launched a giant of a man at least eight feet in height and broad in proportion. He was stark naked and covered from head to toe by a thick growth of black woolly hair. Now, see, this story, to me, sounds like Bigfoot, a Bigfoot story. Mm-hmm. It's There's no mention, and I read this earlier, there's no mention of of the the thing chasing him with a spear or anything like that, a bow and arrow. It's it's just a 
a hair-covered creature. But the earlier legends and the earlier stories and, and even stories that J.W. Burns wrote about do mention, you know, women being taken on horseback by creatures that live on islands who wear pelts. And it's weird when it starts to mix, when the two start to mix. Because then you start to wonder, are, are Bigfoot stories, which which... I mean, what, are, did they both exist? Is because because I can buy into the undiscovered tribe idea more than I can a, an undiscovered ape living out in the wild. But are do they both exist? You know, and if they do, what is that situation like where the the Sasquatch natives run into a Sasquatch tribe of posse of Bigfoots? Is there, you know, do they war with each other? You'd think mm-hmm. if they're if they both actually exist and they're out in the wilds and they bump into each other, it wouldn't go well because they're both trying to live in the same place undiscovered. Yeah, exactly. And when and so many of the the big man story, mm-hmm. you know, these are not creatures you would ever want to cross yeah. paths with because they just have no. It's no challenge for them to just kill you. Right. And I, I would assume that, you know, one of these, uh, the Lost Giants versus a Bigfoot, that even that would be not much of a contest. But, I'm, I'm just but nobody curious. talks about that. You know what I mean? It's like... Well, do you, don't you wonder, like, is is Bigfoot just a, you know, a folk a folktale that was created because of the actual existence of undiscovered tribes of Indians? Or is it vice versa? Maybe people see an upright walking ape and the only thing they can connect it to is an undiscovered Indian living in the woods. I mean, doesn't to me that's fascinating <laughs> yeah, because like, could, could one of these mysteries be real be, be and, and you know, that is where the other is kind of derived from, you know, could, could, could there be undiscovered tribes of Indians wearing, you know, pelts and stuff and people see those and then they think, okay, there's a, there's a giant ape or is it the people in the late 1800s were seeing upright walking apes and the only thing they could, you know, like Scott with the hairy witch in, mm-hmm. in Minerva monster, that's all he could think of was a hairy witch. Cause that's what something he understood were these people seeing apes and thinking there's an undiscovered Indian amazing isn't it and yeah. here's something else to throw into the mix too mm-hmm. um there was here this is in true giants uh one anthropologist in 2003 recorded how he had heard it put to him he was not endorsing the idea of true giants but only taking note of how he had been told of them by one indian of his acquaintance mm-hmm. and this is what he wrote i did hear a western washington state native man middle age once say that the sasquatch one typically sees huge as they are are the juveniles, and that they are the only ones ever sighted because, as youngins, they are not yet shrewd enough to conceal themselves from humans 100% of the time. The adults, he said, are never seen and are unimaginably huge, 12 feet tall or something. That was a new one on me. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. I could I could spend more time on this subject, but we are, we are reaching the end of this episode. So, and I had... I had let me get to this one. I have one more thing I wanted to okay. bring up because I thought it okay. was cool. And this this is a, a native legend again, um, and I got this from firstpeople.us. Um, it's called the Native American Legends Mosh Up the Giant, a Wampanoag, Wampanoag legend. Um, 
And Wampanoag, if I'm not mistaken, there's some sort of connection between the Wampanoag and the Bridgewater Triangle. I can't, I can't remember. But anyway, uh, before the first European settlers came to this land, there lived on the coast of Massachusetts a giant named Moshup. Moshup lived among the Wampanoag Indians, both on Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard. Um, Moshup, an Indian giant, once lived on the mainland of Massachusetts, decided one day to settle down on the beautiful island of Martha's Vineyard. Moshup loved to sit at the top of the hill on the vineyard near a town now called Gayhead. There is still evidence of his grand seat there in the crater above the cliffs. Moshup loved whale meat, which he would catch with his hands, then cook over a fire he made by ripping trees that surrounded him out of the ground. He did so much of this that are barely and he did so much of this that there are barely any trees left today in the town of Gayhead. To catch the whales, Moshup threw stones into the water to step on, and that is how the rocks between Kudihunk and the mainland, called the Devil's Bridge, came to be. Mm. Moshup also loved the Indians who lived nearby him, and he would share his whale meat with them. He fed them so well that one year they gathered all the tobacco they had harvested and gave it to Moshup to show their appreciation. In his great pipe, Moshup smoked the tobacco, which was barely enough for a man his size, then he emptied the ashes into the water, and that is how the island of Nantucket came to be. Hmm. Uh, it eventually goes on to say that he slipped away in the evening when he found out the white men were coming to ruin his time. I just thought it was a cool legend, frankly. I, yeah. I you know, like it's, it's ref- this is more of a creation legend, but the two get confused a lot. It's why I don't buy into the Stonish Giants as being a Bigfoot story. We've talked about that yeah. on the show before. I don't I don't buy it. I think the Stonish Giants and, and all that stuff is a creation legend, not in any sort of reference to an actual creature that Native Americans, you know, thought were running around in the woods. I I, I mean may, maybe they did, but personally when I read it it reads like a creation legend. Um, a lot of the stories you hear people reference as being Bigfoot stories that are linked to native culture are creation legends rather than any sort of reference hmm. to an actual creature, although they consider them real. So I'm not shooting down their legends. I'm just sure. saying for me, that's that's what I'm taking away from it. But anyway, yeah. let's have you kind of sum all this up as you do so, uh-huh. so well. Well, I think... Um I will just draw on uh, what Hall and Coleman say in their book. It says here, um, giants, as, you know, assuming that they survive, uh, survive as remote occupants of the least hospitable terrain on the major continents. And as they say, it is time to venture behind the ridicule curtain that has protected true giants from scrutiny in modern times. And perhaps uh, we have done that <laughs> in a very small way today. Uh, by by renewing that conversation and just holding out the idea that um, you know there's there's just this uh, middle ground between folklore and myth and reality and uh, let's just not be in a huge hurry to assign all of this just to uh, the folk tales and campfire stories of cultures not our own yeah. 
Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds Love. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes.